is going. Anyone? Amazon? Yes? What's that? Free, free shipping if, if you can get it here. Not that I'm grumpy about that. No, no. How's, are, you, are you guys doing okay with the Christmas thing, though? Like, it feels to me like it's... I don't know what it is about the way the weeks are falling, but I, I'm not feeling the pressure. Maybe that'll change in a week or two. <laughs> Since I haven't really done anything, um, that may change. But I uh, hope that you're doing all right with that. Uh, we've tried to make a very conscious effort at our house to, to not be too wrapped up in the, you know, the stuff. Uh, gift giving is nice, and, and, and we like to give gifts to one another, but to not let that be the driving force or the, the pressure that mounts on us. Uh, we've been trying to do that the last uh, several years and just kind of, I mean, really enjoy the moment, right? And, and enjoy the, the meaning of the whole thing. And so uh, one of the things that that's caused us to do here at Christ Community Church is we have uh, begun to emphasize Advent, which is not something that in the tradition that I grew up in was a real common uh, emphasis. There was a lot of emphasis on Christmas and Christmas Eve, but uh, historically in the church there's been this period that, that really started first day of December, and this is the first Sunday of Advent, where these there's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve and then Christmas Day, the celebration of, of Jesus' birth, are called the Advent Sundays. And Advent means uh, expectation or, or that which is to arrive. And we begin to think about that and, uh, and talk a little bit about uh, the story of, of the Old Testament the people of God waiting for a Messiah to come. Uh, he's, he's been prophesied. He's been promised. Um, examples of the Messiah have shown up in their history. People like uh, Moses, Abraham, uh, Joseph. Uh, some of these figures of the Bible are, are what we call Christology figures in the Old Testament who are not the Messiah, but they point to him. And they embody a lot of the, the qualities that are expected in the Messiah. And then so we sort of, uh, through Advent, we remember those things. And we remember that time when there was not yet a Messiah. And the Bible says things like um, that the earth, the earth groaned, waiting for the Messiah to come. Um, the people were in bondage, waiting for the Messiah to come. And so we're going to kick that off this morning with our first uh, Sunday of Advent. We've got some new uh, videos produced uh, by the skit guys who uh, we enjoy a lot here. They do a lot of comedy. They do a lot of uh, fun kind of stuff and theatrical type things. Uh, these are in kind of another vein of what they do. They're more uh, contemplative and they focus around scripture. And so we're going to kick off that video here. And uh, the first Sunday of Advent today, the theme is hope. It's, it's approaching this idea, uh, looking back, of course, to those stories of the Old Testament and before the Messiah arrived, before Jesus came, before God clothed himself in human flesh and dwelt among us, there was a hope for a Messiah. There was this looking towards the future. And I don't know, it seems like uh, 
you know, I look at our, I look at our world, I look at our country, um, I look at my social media feed, um, I listen to the things that people are telling me, uh, I read lots of news reports, um, I see the things that are happening around our globe in different countries and the way some people are oppressed and the way some people are put down. Um, I see the division uh, in America uh, over the last several years and how that divide continues to seem like it's, it's widening. Um, and, I, and I don't really see any end in sight to that in a political forum. I don't really see any end to that in a social forum. The only place that I can possibly put my hope is in Christ. And I have to admit, some days, some days it's difficult to find that hope. And I, I think about it in terms of, of looking towards our future, because we have a different hope today in Christ than, than those who were around before Jesus even came. See, they were, they were hoping for a Messiah just to arrive, just to have the chance for the Messiah to inject hope, peace, love, joy into their lives. We, today, because the Messiah has come, we have the opportunity to receive those things and engage in those things, and yet our world is a, is a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a dumpster fire out there, right? And where, what is our hope? What are we looking towards? And so it's, it's sort of a, sort of a two-track thinking today. One, I want you to think towards Christmas and, and the celebration of the, of the birth of Jesus and what that means to us as believers, that Without that event, we would be just like the people in the Old Testament, still waiting for a Savior. But we've been given that great gift where we can connect with God through Jesus Christ today. And yet still, everything that God has promised us is not yet fulfilled, right? And I know I'm guilty of this. I tend to not think about the eternal. I tend to not think about um, after this life, or heaven. Uh, in fact, I, I have been guilty at times of being critical of people who talk too much about heaven. And yet, let's be honest, and, and maybe this is because I'm getting older, right? Uh, I'm more mature now than I used to be. Or maybe it's just that I feel closer to death now than I ever have in my life. I'm, you know, I'm on the downhill slide now. I'm over 50, so um, it's all downhill from here. But Whatever the case, whatever has brought me to this place, the Bible even tells us that we should be thinking about heavenly things, that we should be looking forward to that promise that's in front of us. We should be thinking about, yes, we want the kingdom of heaven to come and invade this life, this present time, this present existence now, but this is not the sum total of our existence. We are eternal beings who will spend somewhere in eternity, either in the presence of God and in His light and love and enjoying His presence, or in a place that is very decidedly outside the realm of God's love and in which we will never enjoy anything that is, that is good or righteous or holy or lovely again. And so it does well for us to not just consider, oh, this is awesome, this is Christmas, this is where we celebrate Jesus, but to think about what it is that his gift to us has purchased. And it is to redeem our lives here on earth. But while this mortal flesh continues to decay, there is an eternal being inside each one of you who has a future and a hope of eternity with God.
And so that's our theme for today, hope. And uh, here's a little thought from the book of Psalms. We'll pause that. 15, 16. You think you ready? All right. Go back to scheme. Uh, go back to the, the team because it was working earlier. This is awesome. I love it when stuff works perfect. All right, you mind, y'all mind if I walk back there and find out what's going on? All right. All right, so talk amongst yourselves about, <laughs> about hope. What do you hope for? I hope this thing works. That's a good one. Well, I paused it. Video. I'm controlling it from up there. So if you've got a Bible and you want to go with me to uh, Psalm chapter 80, we're going to look through that just a little bit. And uh, I'll kind of point some things out to you here. All right, Hunter, can you pull up that first passage of Scripture? There we go. So let's just read that together. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. 
There's a couple of things in here. Uh, you who are enthroned on the cherubim gives us an idea about uh, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, was the Ark of the Covenant, where uh, the presence of God uh, resided in the temple. Only the holiest of, of holy men could go in there, the high priest himself. Uh, and uh, there was, uh, what was on there was called a mercy seat. If you ever saw Indiana Jones in the, in the last, uh, or Indiana Jones, right? Um, then you would see a picture of that. It, it, they did a pretty good job of, of representing what the Bible says that looked like. And there were angels carved uh, uh, or cast out of gold that were on the edges of those. And those were the cherubim. And it, the writer here is talking to, speaking directly into the idea of that presence of God, the very inner courtyard of where God's spirit resides. And at that time, uh, God chose to, 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 to kind of gather there with his people in the temple. And he's crying out to them, and, and it's from a time when the people were apparently far from God. Their, their prayers were not uh, being heard, they felt, from God. They were uh, being outcast by their neighbors. We see that in some of the other verses as they come along here. Let's see if this is going to work for me this time. Nope. All right, let's go to verse 2. Thank you, Benny. Uh, stir up your might and come to save us. Uh, let's go to the next one. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Restore us, O God. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, we can think about it in these terms of, of, of kind of the big picture of the Bible, um, a large group of people, the nation of Israel. We can, we can put it into those terms, but, but it's always good for us to take some of these stories and, and try to take them into our own lives today or maybe our lives in the past. But have you ever felt that way where you were, just, you were speaking to God, wanting Him to hear you, somehow feeling that there was a disconnect and you're just asking Him, can we get back to where we were before? Can you restore us? Can you restore me? Can, can you turn your face towards me and give me peace? That's the blessing that I give almost uh, every Sunday. Um, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. There's something about seeking the face of God and encountering him that restores that which has been lost or maybe brings to us that which we have not yet attained. Verse 4 says this, O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? It sounds like things were kind of a mess. Uh, this, doesn't paint, this doesn't paint a very friendly picture of God, right? These are kind of tough verses. Um, you're not hearing our prayers. Where is your face? Why, why can't you hear me? Uh, he goes on to say in, in verse 5, You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. Verse 6, you make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. 
If we look at other scripture and we look at the context of these, these thoughts here, we find that God is not a vindictive kind of guy. He's not, he's not that picture that some of us maybe uh, grew up with or were given when, when uh, we were little or in churches that we were part of where kind of this picture of the, that God's a big, mean guy hanging out, waiting for us to mess something up so he can kind of go, Aha! I got you. In fact, the Bible teaches us that, that God's character is exactly the opposite. Instead, He weeps for us when we fail because He wants so much for us to be receiving from Him His blessing and His mercy and His goodness and His kindness that when we break that relationship through sin or disobedience, it crushes God's heart because that's not what He desires. And so if we're not careful, we look at this, we can look at this passage, and, and some people would, they look at it and they go, man, God's mean. I mean, he's not listening to their prayers. He's not letting them see his face. It says that he, he made them cry a lot, right? They drank their tears to full measure, meaning uh, they've cried so much that if they drank their tears, they'd be completely satisfied. There's another passage in Psalms where the, the writer says, uh, I have dissolved my couch with my tears. He's cried that much. And if we forget the real nature of God, the true character of God, we might go, wow, man, God's mean. But what we see underneath of this really is that somehow the writer himself and the people he's with finds himself in this position where God's presence has, has been removed from them, but it's because of their own actions. It's because of things that they've done. And they need to be brought back. And... It's, it's kind of a tough passage, but there's hope underneath of that, right? I mean, why bother calling out if you don't have any hope? See, when you're hopeless, you give up. When you're hopeless, you just abandon the idea of whatever it is that you thought you needed or you wanted or what would be the greatest thing for you to have or what would get you through this moment. You just, you just throw up your hands and you're like, I'm done. I've been there where I've felt that way, where I just wanted to throw up my hands and be finished. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a quitter kind of guy, but man, sometimes you can only take so much, right? And often that becomes whatever the circumstance is that we're in, if we, if we look at, uh, you know, take your pick. Uh, you can pick from your own life. It's a, it's a job. It's a relationship. Um, it's a project that you have. And you get to the point where you're ready to throw up your hands. If you ultimately do throw up your hands, it's because whatever's behind that, whoever the other person is on the other side of the relationship, or whoever it is that's over you in your job, or a business venture that you've tried to get off the ground, and, and other forces have come to bear that have made it impossible for you to continue with your dream, right? And you do give up. It's not because you don't want to continue to do it. It's because whoever's on the other side of that transaction, you have no hope in them. It's become hopeless. And if we see anything in the way that the story tells, the Bible tells the story of God and those that he chose to be kind of his spokespeople and to celebrate, you know, people like um, Moses, you know, a murderer, didn't speak very well. Rahab, a prostitute far from God, believing in other gods, not even giving God uh, the time of day until he intervened in her life. Joseph, a simple carpenter. Paul, who calls himself the chief of all sinners. 
See, when we encounter things in our lives and God is the one on the other side of the transaction, we should never lose hope. Because His desire is always, always to restore, to renew, to rebuild. But when that's not happening, it's not because God has let down His side of the transaction. It's us. It's us. If we fly on down to verse 17. And if, if you read through those other verses between like verses 8 to 16, it's a lot more, um, this is bad, and this is bad, and this has gone badly, and this didn't work out the right way, and this, and it just... And then we get to this. It's like 14 verses of blah. And yet the writer still gets to this place in verse 17. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Which, by the way, earlier in the, in the passage you mentioned Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin means uh, at God's right hand. And so there's a little bit of a reference to Benjamin here when he says, let your hand be on the man of your right hand, Benjamin, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. In the New Testament... Jesus is often referred to as what? The Son of Man. Because He sits where? At the right hand of the Father. So that's where that phrase, the Son of Man, comes from. It's from this idea. Benjamin, again, is a, is a, a Christology figure pointing towards the Messiah who's coming. So he says this, Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. There's a desperate cry here, but it's rooted in hope. The writer is, is believing that there's someone else on the other side of this conversation who can, in fact, redeem them, who can, in fact, shine their face upon them and restore them, and he says, probably like you and I have said a bunch of times, God, if you'll help me with this, I promise. I'll be faithful. I, I, he says, if you'll do this, we won't turn away. Now let me ask you a question. When this psalm is written, do you think this is the first time they've turned away? Do you think it's the last time they turned away? And yet, God respects those who humble themselves and repent. Even though He knows, the chances are pretty high that even though I say, look, God, if you'll, if you'll meet me right here, if I can see you work right here in this moment, I promise I'm going to be the best Christian ever. Chances are, I'm going to mess that up somewhere. And yet, 
if I will be humble and repent and come to him, he's good enough to come to me, he's good enough to come to you in that moment and this moment and this moment and this moment. Not because he expects us to just continue to be broken, but because, uh, like we've talked about a lot here, if we're being changed from the inside out, that over time we become a little less broken. Over time. There's a... You know, there's kind of a complaint against Christianity, this idea that, that God is hard, that God is mean, that God doesn't want people to be happy, that God doesn't want people to have good lives. And I, I would say, I would cast this, God doesn't want you to be happy. Um, he wants you um, to grow up and to be faithful in Him. And that sometimes that's not necessarily happy. But joy and happiness are not the same thing, right? They're, they're different things. But there's that idea that, that God doesn't want these good things for you, that He's, he's mean and He's cruel and, and whatever. And it'll usually be cast in this idea of, of God's unconditional love. You know, uh, 1 John says, God is love. Awesome. God is love. Certainly if you're a parent, uh, you, you really get this. There's, there's nothing like parenting kids to, to really bring this home. Uh, but, um, but you've seen it also in your life, maybe as a, as a child, uh, maybe in other relationships, that sometimes love isn't like smooshy, Right? Sometimes love is difficult. Sometimes love means saying no. Sometimes love means saying, I'm not going to let you have that. Either because it's bad for you, or God forbid, because you don't deserve it right now. That's love. See, love is to look out for the best interest of the one that you're caring for. Not to give them anything they want. Not to approve anything that they do. In fact, that fan, you know, really famous verse says, If my people. What's the first word in that verse? If. We call that conditional. Now, God's love is unconditionally offered to everyone but is conditionally received. It is available to anyone. It's, it's the, the sample that we use. If, if, I, if I threw a $10 bill down here on the table, anyone in here could have it. But the only one who's going to get it is the one who comes and gets it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face <laughs> that's a lot of things right if if my people you know the ones who are called by my name the ones who are and and this was in the old testament but here we are today who, who what are we called christians christians little christs if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, pray, turn from their wickedness, then, then I will heal their land. I will hear their prayers and I will hear their, heal their land. This is the problem the psalmist has. Something has gone wrong and it's not because God went wrong because God doesn't change. 
He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But something in that relationship changed, and it goes back to them. It goes back to you and me. If we're wondering, if we're looking, and we're hoping, and we're wishing, we should look inward. As, as individuals, as a nation, as a world, we should look inward and see what's the problem. Because God wants us to have that which is good, that which is holy, that which is righteous, that which is profitable for us. And if we're not getting that, why is it? And I would suggest it's because we're like the psalmist. We've messed something up, and now we're coming back to God and saying, man, I, I'm sorry, if you, will, if you will restore your face to me, if you will shine your light upon me, if you will heal me of these things, I will devote myself to you. And I would suggest that you do the same. Repent. Fix the places where you're disobeying God. Stop expecting Him to be present with you in the midst of your disobedience and instead repent. Turn from your wickedness. Pray. Humble yourself. Seek His face. And then, and then, He will hear your prayer and heal your land, heal your life. Yeah. That's how that works. There's a... Almost, there's almost no metaphor for the spiritual life that can't be found in agriculture, in farming, in planting, in harvesting, uh, throwing out seed, uh, bearing fruit, pruning. I mean, all that, I mean, the kingdom of God is so well illustrated in the idea of, of agriculture and, and what happens there. That's why Jesus uses those examples so many times. Uh, but one of those uh, that we can see today is, uh, you know, this past fall, some of you may have, if, if you did, did you plant any bulbs? flowers? Anybody do that? Anybody into that in here? No, me neither, because who wants to maintain that stuff? Um, but you know how that works, right? So you have some of those plants that are out there like tulips. There's, there's one that's really popular. Um, you don't really plant a seed. You have a bulb. And you don't plant it in the spring. If you plant it in the spring, you're not, nothing's going to happen. You plant them in the fall uh, before the first freeze. You, you put them in the ground, and you put those bulbs down in there, and then they lay in there all winter. Even in Alaska, this works. You know, I mean, because you can plant them in Arizona, but what's winter in Arizona? I'm telling like, here it actually works. You plant those bulbs underneath of there, and they lay dormant all through. And there's such a symbol of hope because, you know, you could be in your house and, and all, you know, in the middle of January when it's 30 below, you know, we get that period, January, February, where it's like real winter sometimes. And you think, how, how deep is that ground frozen and that bulb is in there? But, but if you're into that thing, you're thinking, man, in the spring, in the spring, that, that thing's going to come to life. And whatever I planted there, that bulb, they're going to come out of the ground. And I'll have these beautiful flowers. And they'll thrive and they'll flourish. And that's the essence of hope. Bulbs are like, planting those bulbs are like the perfect picture of hope. That even when it looks barren, even when it looks bad, even when things aren't going the way that I necessarily want them to, because, like, uh, who likes winter? What? There's hope. That, that hope is planted down deep in there that at some point, spring will come. And something beautiful will There's another passage of Scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, right? Can I get an amen? Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Let's keep going. For this light momentary affliction, you know what that light momentary affliction is? Life. This, this thing. Because in the span of eternity, this is, right? The Bible says it's like grass, it withers. It's a, it's, a, it's a vapor. It's a wisp of smoke, this life. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's the planting of the, the bulb right there. But yeah, this life is hard, and sometimes we mess it up, and we go to God and we say, man, forgive me. I really, I really, I, oh, I made a mess out of that. But, but I want you to, I, I love you, God, and I want to I have your love in my life, so, so I'm, I'm sorry. I want to get back to it, and if, if, you'll, if you'll come back to me, I'll come back to you, and we're going to make a great thing out of this. And then, you know, I don't know, six weeks, six months, six years from now, you find yourself back, man. And God's going, it's okay, put that hope down there because this thing, this thing that we're in right now, it's just, it's kind of an affliction that we all have to deal with, but it's preparing us. I love that word, an eternal weight of glory. Eternity has substance. That's another thing I struggle with. I I think of heaven and and I feel intangible, right? Because I can't, I I don't get it. Read Revelation and, and John didn't get it either. But he tried to put it into words that we could at least grasp a little bit, but it's still, it's so far beyond our bounds, and so it feels like something I can't quite put my hands on it, but the Bible tells me that that glory, that eternity that is after this momentary affliction, man, it has weight. And so I try to keep that in mind. I go, man, this life feels like, like a burden, right? But he says, man, that's nothing. Eternity's going to have some substance to it. And you're being prepared for that right now. That's the hope that gets planted in the ground of our lives. And we may not see it today. We may not see it in this moment. But someday, when this life is over, spring will come. And all of that hope that's been planted will come to a beautiful fruition. You might think, well, so much has happened in my life. It's like, it's like I've run a rototiller through my, the garden of my life, and I've just torn everything up. We planted uh, tulips one year at one of the houses that we lived in. And, uh, and they came up. Next spring, they came up. It was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. And we had them for a year, few years, and then we're like, you know, we want something else in there. So we, we tore them all out. You know what happened? More tulips came out. Because <laughs> here's the funny thing about those bulbs. You know, you can tear them out, but if you leave little pieces in there, if you don't get them all, and they'll, they'll, sometimes they look, if you're familiar with like a shallot, they'll look like that. They got little pieces that come off, you know, and if you don't get them all, dang, if hope doesn't have a way of just popping up when you didn't expect it to. 
And that's the last thing I want to tell you about hope is I know sometimes it can be hard and sometimes it seems hopeless. But if on the other side of whatever transaction you're thinking about and struggling with, if you'll put, if you'll put God on the other side of that transaction, if He's the one in which you want to place your hope, then it doesn't, it doesn't matter the wreckage that you've left behind. It, it matters what you're building towards the future. See, God cares more about where you're going than anywhere that you've ever been. And God has a way that even when we think we've, we've torn up everything in our lives to the point that nothing could possibly grow, that there's no hope that could possibly come out of that, the example of, of our earthly bulbs tells us that in God's economy, Hope always has a way of springing eternal. You just got to turn your, toward, your face towards spring. Get out of the winter. Move towards the light. Use whatever metaphor you want. But get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Live an obedient life. Glorify Him. And He will turn His countenance towards you and give you hope. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause the light of His face to shine upon you. May He turn His countenance towards you and give you peace and fill you with hope. Hope in the Messiah who finally came and who lives for us today offers us salvation, connection to God, a life on earth that has meaning. But Lord, beyond that, in, in concert with that, because of that. Let us still be filled with hope for our days ahead here on earth, but more so, even so. The hope that He will return to bring all of those who love Him into, into an eternity of substance and meaning and purpose. May this hope be in us. In Jesus' name, amen.